Welcome to Women Worth Knowing, the new title for the podcast hosted by Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. Women Worth Knowing is not affiliated, associated, authorized, endorsed by, or in any way officially connected with the website Women You Should Know. We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women You Should Know. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. This is Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. That's right. And we're here with another woman you should know. Yes, we are. <laughs> and actually, this woman is a, one of my favorite women that mm-hmm. Jasmine's about to highlight. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's a missionary in China. So tell us. Because to some people, let's just say this. Um, mm-hmm. When I was, let me just say this. When I was, I think, 13 or 14, my dad gave me the book, The Triumph of John and Betty Stan. Oh, yes. And so I read that way back when? Yeah, I think it was. Is that yeah, one of your I, first books? or Well, one of the first that my dad ever gave me right. to read. I mean, my aunt gave me books. My mom was, my mom gave me Agatha Christie to read. and Nancy Which is Drew. also great. We're not going to, she might be a woman you should know for different reasons. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, you know, interesting because in one of the programs up ahead, I've got Dorothy Sayers that I'm going to talk about. Right, good. And boy, was she a Christian and amazing. But for mm. this, Betty Stamm. Yes, Betty Stamm. Oh, that's great. I love that you already mentioned their their book. I will I will uh, highlight a couple of those at the end. But did you know uh, she was one of Elizabeth Elliot's favorite heroes, heroines? In really? The faith? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not surprised. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Just very inspirational. Right. So Betty Stamm, born in 1906, and uh, she was born in the U.S. but raised in China. Her parents were missionaries, so they had a little missionary family over there in China. She and all her four siblings were all raised over there. Interestingly, they all ended up serving on the mission field. I'm not sure that they all were in China, but I think some of them were. So pretty cool legacy that her family Absolutely. had. The Scott family. That was her maiden name, Betty Scott. And so when she was 17, so uh, that's 1923-ish, she went to school in the States. Um, she went to this college called Wilson College in Pennsylvania that doesn't exist anymore, I don't think. <laughs> And it if was, they do, we're going to hear about it. I, somebody's going to so be like, trouble. how yes. did you not know this? I know I'm going to get in trouble for saying that. So <laughs> the problem with doing these things, you get called out. Right? A lesser known college. Right? A lesser known a college. Lesser, let's say it's a lesser known. Yes. <laughs> so it was during the time she was in college that she fully surrendered to Christ. You know, a, you know, a lot of those of us who were raised in, church, in Christian homes, we have those moments, right? That's where right. we come to fully surrender. Right. And so that was uh, Betty's time was around when she was 17, 18, starting college. And during this time, she wrote something. And she's known for her writings. Well, maybe not as known, but uh, she did poetry. Write poetry. Yep. She kept a journal. Great quotes and things. I mean, yeah. And that's one of her her books that was a compilation uh, made later uh, was her poetry and stuff like that. And so, but one of her quotes, and this is my favorite one. Anyone who's heard me um, teach before, I use this quote all the time, but I think it's just such a wonderful picture of what it is to surrender to the Lord. And here's what she said. She said, when we consecrate ourselves to God, we think we're making a great sacrifice and doing a lot for him when really we're only letting go some little bitsy trinkets that we've been grabbing. And when our hands are empty, he fills them full of his treasures. And I just love that picture. I know you say a lot of times we're going to go empty, right? When you're, right. when you're teaching. And right. I think that that's just such a wonderful picture of the fact that we think, oh my gosh, Lord, I don't know if I can surrender that. But when we let go, 
He fills our hands full of so much more. You know, I was thinking today, too, or mm. a couple of days ago, it came to me. But the thought that when we open our hands to God, we're always thinking of surrender. Mm. And I think God is thinking of what he's putting into our hands. Yes, exactly. Totally not what we think. Right. And so, yeah, we just think the reverse of that. And we forget, like, man, God is faithful with what we commit to him. Um, another quote I often think of with Martin Luther, I know this isn't Betty Stamp, but it's kind of along those lines. One time he said, uh, I have held many things in my hands and lost them all, but whatever I've put in God's hands that I still possess. And just realizing whatever we place in God's hands isn't lost. It's redeemed for even greater And to quote purposes. another man, yes. Paul the Apostle says, yes. <laughs> you know, I am confident that whatever mm. I have surrendered to God, he will keep that until that day. Yes, you know? yes. That was a Cheryl will, paraphrase. No, no, he will keep what we commit to him. Yes, That's exactly. <laughs> that was a good paraphrase. Thank you. So, yeah, that's just, but that, that surrender was something that I think was really characteristic of her life moving forward, as we've seen with so many of these people we've talked about, you know, the things that were happening early in their lives, these lessons the Lord was teaching them would come into play later. You know, my mom always says that what happens now is for later. And she's right. Throughout my life, I've seen that to be true. And mm-hmm. so um, wherever you're at right now, whatever the Lord's doing, he's working for later, not just for this moment. And so Betty surrenders to the Lord. Eventually, after she graduates from Wilson, she goes to Moody Bible Institute, and she just wants to really get equipped to, to win souls to Christ. And she just really gets fired up about that. There's something about D.L. Moody that got everybody into soul winning, like Lilius Trotter we talked about before. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Everyone who heard him. And so... She just became so passionate to share the gospel. And so in her second year at Moody, she meets a young man named John Stamm. And John was a year behind her in school. So younger man. Whoa. <laughs> we had a couple of this. Uh, yeah, we, I know, right? So mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. Interesting. Mm-hmm. John, Brandy yeah, Brand. To, Sorry, I'm thinking okay, of all these. You're thinking My of mind all is of going. these like, younger <laughs> men? Yes. I know. Well, <laughs> There's hope. There's hope. Yeah, that's right. So all of us out there... <laughs> There's hope for a single woman. Yes. And so um, they actually met through um, prayer meetings for the China Inland Mission. And it was kind of funny because it's so cute, their story. Neither of them had ever had a love interest before. They're in their like mid-20s at this point. And John actually was like, was thinking, you know, I'm going to the mission field single. That's my goal. He was very uh, focused. And yet there's this girl in the prayer meeting. And I, I think they're just so cute. If you guys ever see a picture of John and Betty Stam. They look like a couple librarians. They're so cute. They have like these little round glasses. They like match. You know, my my best friend has this theory about couples looking alike. And boy, they sure do. And it's so cute. I know that's rabbit trailing, but. <laughs> you know what? This is where precious. I'm sensing the third cup of coffee. I've had too much coffee today. <laughs> and so, <laughs> but it's just, it's just precious how they began to be drawn to one another. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously not just because it's like, wow, you look great in those glasses. So do you. <laughs> But also, we could go file Desi, you know, Dewey Decimal System together. But they also were drawn spiritually to one another and realizing, whoa, we have the same heart. You know, we have the same heart to spread the gospel. We have the same heart for missions. Well, it's funny because they just kept going to these prayer meetings and nothing ever happened between them until finally in the spring of 1931, as Betty's graduating and already committed to go serve in China, John decides finally to announce his intentions. (laughs) Hey, just so you know, I'm in love with you like, well, cool. Thanks. Good timing because I'm leaving. So, (laughs) but it's interesting because John knew, you know, he had a year left in school and he wanted to go to China too. He'd been praying obviously, but there were so many other things in his life. He had some health issues and not only that, but a lot of other opportunities. So he wasn't completely sure yet. And he didn't want to 
uh, rush things. He didn't want to um, strive and go out of the will of God. And so he really felt like, you know, here's where I'm at, but let's just put it on the altar and leave it with the Lord, because I don't know if this if God really wants us to get married or if it's just it just wasn't the right timing. And, and I love that because, you know, we've talked about before, we all have to seek first the kingdom of God in our lives and whatever that looks like for each person. And for them, they really felt like seeking first the kingdom of God meant to kind of lay the relationship on the altar, bring it before God, have an open hand like we were talking about before. You know, one of the things, too, when you're reading this story, mm. because I hate to do a spoil alert, but they die young. Oh, no. But, right. but most of but their story is really their their courtship. I mean, their mm. testimony is mm-hmm. not only what they did in China because yes. they didn't really have enough time to be as effective. But their love story Mm -hmm. is so amazing. The letters that they wrote back, Mm -hmm. the correspondence. And that's how we know so much about Betty is really through her letters, her journaling, and her poetry. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's where you see the depths and just Mm -hmm. that they were committed first to Christ. It kind of reminds me of the Philippians. That Mm -hmm. Paul said they committed themselves first to the Lord and then to us. Love it. And that's exactly what I remember in their Mm -hmm. their story. Exactly. And actually, with along with that— um, when uh, John's dad found out about their decision, yeah, to put God first, he said, those children are going to have God's choicest blessing. When God is second, you'll get second best. But when God is really first, you have his best. Even like uh, Corey Ten Boom, her poem, mm-hmm. the, My Life is But a Weaving, the tapestry poem, mm-hmm. at the end, she says he gives his very best to those who leave the choice with him. And I think that that's what we see with their lives. Like you were saying, the depth of just wanting God's will first and best and trusting like the Lord loves me. And he has my very best, and I can keep an open hand and surrender to him, even in this thing that is so dear to me. And right. so Betty goes to China, you know, just obedient to the Lord's call in fall of 1931, gets assigned to a city called Foyang. But within a year, they start having issues with the communists. You know, communist regime is starting to really That's come right. in full yep. force at this yep. point into yep. China. And so the missionaries are forced to evacuate, which was pretty frustrating. But in the meantime, while Betty had been there serving, John finished school, and he really felt like the Lord confirmed to him, like, hey, you are called to China. And so he wrote to Betty about it, but he didn't hear back because this is not like today where you could just, you know, text really quick or go on FaceTime and say, hey, I'm on my way. Right. I mean, letters went by ship. Yes. Not even by plane. Yeah, exactly. And so it took forever. And so it could be up to three months or longer even. You know? And so the letters were in passing, and mm-hmm. somehow they missed each other. Wow. He didn't really know when he left if she—I mean, for all he knew, she was in a relationship with someone else, or mm-hmm. she felt like the Lord had called her to be single. He had no idea mm-hmm. because of that issue with the correspondence. And so uh, he kind of—but in faith, he just goes. He's like, well, I'm still called to China. It doesn't. I'm not following her. I'm following the Lord. So he gets to Shanghai, and it just so happens—this was right after Betty was evacuated. And so where did she end up? In Shanghai at the same exact time. And so the Lord brought them back together, and they saw the Lord reuniting them. And John said, when we seek first the kingdom of God, though our efforts are blundering, he does unstintingly add the all things. And I love that. They, they didn't force it. I think of, um, I was thinking of David in the Bible and how, you know, I can't remember where in Chronicles where it says, like, he knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel. He didn't go and try to, you know, he had many opportunities to kill Saul. He could have done a lot of things to manipulate But because he waited and deferred to God's timing, he could know that he was established. And it was just a clarity from God so he could move confidently. And I think that's what John and Betty experienced, that confidence in doing it God's way and watching him bless. But what's amazing 
is that even though now they got engaged, you know, at this point, they still felt like it wasn't time to get married. Like you were saying before, just the depth of surrender in their relationship with one another. They still felt like, well, we have our assignments from the China Inland Mission. Let's yield and honor those first for this year. And so they decided we'll get engaged. We'll separate for a year, (laughs) another year, and then we'll come together and get married. And so, again, I, I love that, that, that surrender. And the Lord honored it because Betty goes back to Fo Yang. Finally, she's allowed to go back in. And it's so neat because when the missionaries were forced to evacuate, all the Chinese believers were kind of left on their own to just, you know, not fend for themselves, but seek the Lord on their own and depend on him. And while the missionaries were gone, a revival had actually broken out in that region. And so when Betty goes back, she finds, whoa, all these people are getting saved. Well, now it's time for those new believers to get discipled. And all the missionaries came back in right at that right moment in God's perfect timing. Again, God has such perfect timing when we yield. Mm -hmm. She carries on for the year. John does language school. And then the following year, they get married finally. Ah, October of 1933. And you got to realize this was four or five years after they had met. I mean, they'd been, you know, just continually waiting on the Lord during this entire time. Again, that, that yielding to the spirit, and I love that. And so uh, they get married, and they are assigned to a mission station, and that's when they, you know, got settled in, and they had their first child, Helen. She was born September 11th, 1934, before September 11th yes, was an yes. unfortunate date. <laughs> so I've always remembered that her, when she was born. Just shortly. That's my daughter-in-law Grace's birthday, too. Is it really? September 11th. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we can redeem it. Yes. You know, it's yes. uh, for good. <laughs> September 11th, I think, 1989. I don't know if that's all right to tell your daughter-in-law's. Oh, well. That's, I think. That's right. Get that, that right. Yes. <laughs> You're going to get to look like, that look up at, really quick. Wait a minute. Did I get this right? <laughs> yes. So in November, so shortly after Helen is born, they get assigned to their first a real outpost on their own. So, they're, you know, they've been serving at established mission stations at this point, you know. And again, John had to finish language school and all of that sort of a thing. Well, now they finally get told, hey, you guys are going to get to go out on your own. And they were going to a village called Singte. I think that would be how you say that. Some of these, you know, what what is it? American Americanization of Chinese names are challenging. But mm-hmm. <laughs> anyways, so they uh, go to this village where the gospel hadn't been preached before. There were some Chinese Christians living in a nearby village, so they had some support, but they were kind of going to an unreached uh, people in this area. And so they were really excited about this new opportunity. There had been threats of communism, obviously throughout China at this point, but they were assured by the authorities that that communism wasn't anywhere near Sinkta right now. So you guys are totally fine. Don't worry about it. And so they figured, well, okay, we'll just step out in faith. Well, wouldn't you know it, of course, less than uh, two weeks after they arrived in Singte, two weeks, not that long, uh, on the morning of December 6, 1934, um, they are warned of communist invasion. But, you know, they're just caring about their morning business when they find out about, you know, impending invasion. They have no um, no time, really, to prepare for this or plan. And the story talks about how Betty is like, giving the baby a bath that morning. I mean, they're just kind of going about their normal daily routine and suddenly hear that the communists are on their way in and they and the communists arrive in the town before they have time to respond. And so uh, the soldiers, they're there at the door, banging on the door, demanding a ransom of $20,000, which back then 
was tremendous. A, That's oh, like a million dollars. Yeah, it was a fortune, and there's no way that mm-hmm. they have this. Yes. And, and, you know, obviously, I, I don't know if the if the communists knew that or not, but. Uh, Anyway, they're obviously unable to pay the ransom, but they're there negotiating and talking to these men. And it's kind of amazing because in the middle of all this, as John's talking to the soldiers, uh, Betty goes and prepares tea and cake for them Mm. and comes in and just, you know, being a blessing to her enemies. And I just think, wow, what a what a picture (laughs) that is. And to have the presence of mind and the spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit giving you that calm and peace and ability to say, how can I? minister in this moment instead of the uh, a thought of self-preservation mm-hmm. so at this point you know they're they're arrested and they're trying to try to you know force they want some leverage to try to force the stamps to cough up the twenty thousand dollars which they don't have they begin to threaten to kill their baby and so they're holding the baby out we're gonna kill your child if you don't give us the money and so out of nowhere, this farmer, this Chinese farmer, I don't even think John and Betty knew him. They probably recognized him because they'd been in the village long enough to meet the people. This man runs up out of nowhere and says, spare that baby's life. And they look at him and they're like, kind of like, who are you? And he said, and they said, OK, well, it's your life for hers. And he says, OK, I'm willing. And they shoot the man right there in front of John and Betty. I mean, it's just this traumatic, tremendous moment. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised they don't kill the baby anyway. But, you know, Helen was spared. It was kind of a miraculous moment and just kind of a traumatic moment as well, obviously. So this man gives his random guy gives his life for the baby. Uh, John and Betty are then taken to a a holding area for another couple days while the communists go and ransack. And the Chinese Christians take Helen. The baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. They they are going to be able to take the baby in all of this. And so, I mean, it's just kind of a crazy situation. So, yeah, they're, they're kept in holding. But what mm-hmm. I remember, too, is the intrigue. Um, there's mm-hmm. a whole chapter about how they get Helen out of the country. Oh, yeah, I'll get to that. Okay, oh, yes. Perfect. Oh, yes. No, no, I just no. want to make sure yeah, you're no, not no, no. going to admit that. Okay. <laughs> oh, I will. I will. I'm watching there. you. <laughs> they can't watch you. I'm watching. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. I'm being, <laughs> if ladies, if you only knew, I'm being <laughs> stared down right now. I'm just kidding. So... <laughs> So they're taken to uh, the nearby village the China, the ch- where the Chinese believers were at. And so uh, the town gets ransacked and everything. John and Betty are kind of kept in holding. Also, the communists are giving them opportunity to wire the China Inland Mission for money, they think. But of course, John and Betty, they, they know there's no ransom money. And so John, basically, he wires the, the mission and says, guys, I know. I, I don't worry about it. He even uh, in his final telegram, I guess you'd say, to... The China Inland Mission, he says, the Lord bless and guide you. And as for us, may God be glorified, whether by life or by death. You know, he wasn't sure what was going to happen, but he said, you know, the Lord, this is in the Lord's hands. And so, uh, sure enough, December 8th, 1934, they were led out to a hill that morning and they were beheaded on the hill. And their baby, like you said, she had been left behind. Let's let's stop because they're spectators. Well, yes, yes, yes. Okay. So there's spectators who are watching Mm -hmm. this, and many of those spectators, because of the example of John and Betty Stam, gave their lives to Jesus. Yes, and that is huge. In fact, one of the workers there commented on this. He he watched, because they they ended up having like an impromptu funeral service, Evangelist Lowe, that was his Mm -hmm. name. He gave a message. Well, that was kind of his Americanized name. (laughs) And he gave a message, and and one of the... uh, spectators said, I've never seen the Chinese people this moved by the gospel. Mm-hmm. They were crying. Uh, in fact, one of the other workers said, a life which had the longest span of years might not have been able to do one hundredth of the work for Christ, which they have done in one day. Mm-hmm. Just their death. 
I mean, it just exploded the work in that region of China uh, because of their willingness to to lay their lives down and be kind of a picture of the gospel, of what Jesus did for us. It just allowed the gospel to go uh, like wildfire through that region in a way that probably wouldn't have happened otherwise, which is really amazing. And so, like Cheryl said uh, before, the baby gets spared. And that's pretty crazy as well. Um, the Chinese believers, after everything happened, after John and Betty were beheaded, they hear, uh, they're walking through the village and they hear a baby crying. And there was Helen. She'd been left alone for at least a full day at this point. And she was like crying. And now, didn't Betty, though, put her in a trunk? She uh, uh, like it was like a, a trunk that was open, but it had all the clothes and it was very soft. Mm-hmm. Like major, she had almost, a little yeah. she had made a little area. I mean, it's just amazing. The presence of mind mm-hmm. that Betty had. It shows how in the spirit they right. were and, and giving peace. that baby to the Lord. Yes, exactly. And she even like clipped a five or ten dollar bill like she hid it inside of the baby's clothes so that whoever found the baby would be able to provide mm-hmm. for um, for her safety. And so Evangelist Lowe and his wife ended up smuggling the baby out to the coast. She gets uh, delivered back home to the States to John's family, I believe, mm-hmm. to raise her. And so uh, it's just really amazing. And, you know, you'll get their story. And a lot of, and I think um, it's easy to think, like, what a waste, because mm-hmm. it's like, well, gosh, they just got started, and they both had such a heart for the Lord— why wouldn't God want them to live out, you know, 50 years out there on the field? But, you know, for one thing, like I said, um, you know, their their death made a huge impact on the Chinese people. Kind of uh, like think, Jim Elliott, you know, yes, in, yeah. among the Akas. Yep. And I remember the Lord had given him the, the scripture from John chapter 12, except a seed falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. And I have that in my notes. That was exactly, that was perfect. Yes. We are so tuned in, guys. Yeah. <laughs> and I only had two cups of coffee. I, hey, I look, look at that. <laughs> well, I don't drink a lot of coffee. That's why I'm going wild here. But anyway, um, <laughs> so, but yes, exactly what, what Cheryl said, the, the grain of wheat falling into the ground and dying. And it did produce so much grain among the Chinese people. There was so much fruit, but not only that, but back home. You know, at Moody, uh, they had a memorial service for the Stams where they had gone They had gone to school. And at that service, uh, 700 students surrendered their lives um, and just consecrated their lives uh, to ministry and missions for the Lord. I, I just think, wow, what a powerful testimony. I remember having to go back and make sure, was it really 700? That's a lot of people. But that's that's the kind of impact because, they had. Because, you know, like you said, people looking on would say, but they died. But yeah. they died. And I have to admit, like when I read it, like I said, I don't know if I was 12 or 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. I might have been 11, but I'm like, Dad, what in the world are you <laughs> doing giving me a book? Because I didn't know they died till the end. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? And then I remember having some fear, like, Lord, are you calling me to give my life? Or does Dad totally. think I ought to give my life at 12, you know, for the <laughs> cause of Christ? But what he was, he was so impressed with their faith. And, you mm. know, there's ways to to die today, mm. you know, without physically dying. Yes. When we deny ourselves and take mm-hmm. up with the cross and say, you know what? Following Jesus is more important to me than my appetites, yes. uh, you know, my lust or, you know, my greed or wanting this or wanting that. Jesus is more important. Amen. And when we put Jesus first, and this is what the story of their lives was always putting Jesus first. Yeah. You know, before, yeah. you know, getting married, you know, the lust to be with somebody and that. But they said, no, we want to put the Lord first. And they Mm -hmm. even showed that they did not love their lives unto the death. And that is 
big. That's exactly. big. I mean, I don't think there's any uh, greater witness to show how great the Lord is mm-hmm. than, you know, I'm reading right now a book on the martyrs. Uh, it's yes. called Truth and Triumph. Ooh. And it is just, I mean, these people that gave their lives for uh, the Lord. I mean, we're, we'll probably talk in weeks to come about Blandina. Yes. Some of these martyrs uh, from the early, yep. From the early church era. Yes. Oh man. Yes. The, God gives you the grace to, to mm-hmm. do something like that. And so I think, yeah, exactly. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a, we see just uh, the beauty, really, of being willing to lay it all down like that. And it's a good reminder, like 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 Cheryl was saying, too, of the fact that, you know, whether we get martyred or not, it doesn't matter. It, when we choose to, uh, you know, take up our cross and follow Jesus, that is really a life well lived. In fact, um, you know, one of her brothers, well, I'm not sure if it was John or Betty's brother, said this after they died. In fact, I would encourage you, we're going to list their the books and biographies. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some powerful quotes, even from their family members after they died. But one of their brothers said, uh, in God's work, the value of a life lived for him is measured not by length, but by quality of service and by the fulfillment of his purposes for that life. Surely his purposes were fulfilled in Betty and John and being fulfilled are being fulfilled. So their service is completed. And I think that's such a great reminder. Um, whatever we're called to do, it doesn't matter what it looks like from an earthly standpoint, whether you live long or short, whether you impact two people or 2,000 people, if you're yielded and obedient to the Lord um, and you're accomplishing the, pers- the purposes for which he created you, that's a life well lived. That's really what it's about is just doing what the Lord has called you to do. You know, again, like Cheryl said, taking up your cross daily and following him. That's the life well lived. And it doesn't matter what that looks like from an earthly standpoint, whether it looks like, wow, you wait, you know, you died young and wasted your life or, well, why did you only, you know, minister to, you know, 20 people instead of thousands? That's not what the Lord looks at from eternal, an eternal perspective. She sees these these things so much differently. You know, I think two of the people, like I said, one was, you know, my father who was Chuck Smith was Mm. totally impacted by the testimony of John and Betty Stamp. Yes. I mean, he loved it. And so when he was looking for a book, I think I asked him to bring me back a book. And that was the book that he chose for me. So I kind of read it going, okay, my dad treasured this book. And he Mm -hmm. said to me, this is one of my favorite books ever. Really? Wow. And so that was one of his favorites. And he gave it to me. He also loved Through Gates of Splendor. Mm, that was another one of his favorite that. books, but that happened later because that book was written, you know, that happened. He read that book in like, like 1950, yeah, you know, I think it was 20 years later, eight yeah. or nine, but he read the triumph of John and Betty Stam as a young man. And it was part of what moved him to go in the mission field. Interestingly enough too, uh, it was, um, Elizabeth Elliot said that had been a book that moved her too. And she was totally, wow. and she studied when she was at Wheaton, she studied the poetry of Betty Stam. Really? She studied it, and she knew so much of the poetry of Betty Stam. Wow. Which was amazing. Oh, I love it. And so, actually, uh, segueing into some of the writings, there's actually—I'm not sure if this is in print. Hopefully, you can find it somewhere. Uh, but there are um, some some books. There's uh, The Faith—I think it's called The Faith of Betty Scott Stam, and that is written by her. And that is a compilation that her parents made of all of her poems, uh, just kind of really documenting her life in, in Christ and the depths of that. And so I'd encourage you to look that up. Also, the one Cheryl mentioned before, The Triumph of John and Betty Stam. That's kind of the quintessential, classic. Yep, mm-hmm. the, the, the classic on them. Uh, there's another book by Vance Christie called John and Betty Stam, Missionary Martyrs. And that's a newer one. There's a new, it's a new series. Also, the couple uh, that we men- uh, mentioned last week, Jeff and... Um... Oh, Janet Benge. Yeah, yeah for you. they youth. have one too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was something... Um, 
that Linda Yardley, she's like, remember to mention there's there are youth series of yes. some of these that we'll be posting as well on the website so you can get some resources for your kids. You know, and I know, too, my children grew up with missionary biographies because I was so into yeah, them. So same. I bought them for my children Parents. and I read them to my children. In fact, one of my um, my boys favorite books and I just gave it to one of my grandsons is called A Boy's War. And that's yeah. like you read that, too. And that's just I read that because you told me. To, yes, and it was it, so good. It's so good. Uh, really good for young men. Mm-hmm. really, really, really good. And so I, we want to encourage you not only to read these books for yourself, but to really consider these are the heroes that our kids need. Yes. You know, these yeah. are people who stand for truth. They're they're bold. They're um, kind. Mm. They're loving. They have all the virtues that mm-hmm. you want to see in the youth today that we're really not because we have kind of a self-focused, self-centered yeah. um, Culture. Uh, culture. Mm-hmm. And just how much better to, you know, turn their eyes. In fact, my I have a grandson named Hudson after Hudson Taylor. Hey. So anyway, yeah. I like that. That's true. <laughs> so a closing remark, like just kind of like, what was your favorite thing about Betty Stam? Just again, that, that consecration and the open-handed willingness to say, God, here I am, you know, for whatever purpose. That's something anyone can do. You know, the, none of these people are like greater or better than us. They have a great God. But yes. Betty Stam is definitely a woman you should know. That's right. Thank you for listening to Women You Should Know with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter or Facebook. If you have a woman we should know about, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at WYSK at CCCM.com. Make sure you've subscribed to this podcast available now on any streaming service. Thank you again for listening to Women You Should Know with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut.